Welcome to Grace Point Church. Y'all can be seated. If you didn't grab an oatmeal cream pie on your way in, you can go back and grab one of those. Also grab a worship guide if you need one of those. But uh, glad to have you. I don't know about you, but there's certain things that I like to do just on a on a regular. And one of those is watch TED Talks. How many of y'all like TED Talks? Raise your hand. It's just incredible just to think outside the box and, and to think on, on levels that I've never thought on before. And one of my first uh, TED Talks that I ever listened to was a, by, the, by a guy named Simon um, Sinek. What a name to have a last name, Sinek. Uh, but uh, it was a TED Talk in 2009. It's got 39 million Views. How many of y'all have seen Start With Why? Raise your hand, all right? There's a book out, one of the best-selling books uh, in, in the business arena, and it asks the question, it really encourages you to start your questioning, not what, not how, and all that kind of stuff, but why. Why is this all about what we're doing? And, and if you start with why, then it will. a lot of answers will, will come. I want to start with why today. Um, I might naturally come to this topic of worship, and you want to start with what. What is worship? And that's a very legitimate question. What is worship? I mean, it's, a, it's one of these Christianese terms and all that kind of stuff that we throw around. But what is it? And we can spend all day dissecting across uh, lines what, what it is. And really simple, it's just the putting worth on something, all right? We all worship something. We worship th- so, uh, lots of things. We Anything that you ascribe worth to, you are worshiping it. Now, there's different degrees of that worship. But, but we're not going to talk about the what, okay? It's going to define itself and the how we're really not going to talk about. It's going to define itself when we get to the why. The why behind worship is really where we're going to to center our attention today. And we'll let worship flow organically from the why, if that even makes sense to you. So if you have your Bibles, open to the book of Romans chapter 16. If you've been with us, you were here last week, you heard me say that's the last message in Romans, and we've been here since February. Well, uh, Romans never dies. Uh, there's actually a few more verses that we did not cover that originally back in February when we kicked off this study through Romans that I intended to cover, but then it kind of was time to measure things out. And I thought, you know what, we just need to end it by the end of June and this passage that we dealt with last week and how to deal with toxic relationships. And maybe if you have one or you're in one, you know about them or you see people in them, you might want to go back and listen to that on toxic relationships. But there's this little bit closing three verses that you can almost easily skip over because it's this doxology as we call it. It's this little hymn of praise. But really, when you look at these last three verses, you actually get the crypt notes of all of Romans. You get everything there. Now, not everything, but you get a lot there. There's so much in Romans that that he really comes to the very end, and he kind of does it in three verses. And he kind of answers the why behind that in understanding the brokenness of mankind and how God enters into our story and how God rewrites our stories and, and how God does this redemptive work. But it does something to us. It should do something in us. And that's the why behind the worship. And we want to kind of break that down. So if you haven't been with us since our February study, you're getting the crypt notes version, okay? So don't try to take a test, write a paper off of this, but this will at least get you going. In verse 16, chapter 16, verse 25 is where I'll start. Start with three words. Now to him. That's kind of what I just want to start with. Now 
to him. Not real difficult, but it's something that he's calling us to. He's calling us to worship. That's a call out now to him. All right, now let's get all of our attentions and let's center all of the, our thoughts and let's get all of our lives pointed to him. And let's let that be our focus. Let's let him be our focus. Now, I like the way the Jerusalem Bible puts it. It goes, glory be to him. So it kind of, you get the glory in the front of that and so you kind of understand, okay, this is about kind of worship. The message says it like this, all our praise rises to the one. All our praises rise to the one. So you can literally hear and see and smell and taste in those first words that he's really calling us to worship. Now to him, now to focus our attention on him. Now that's verse 25. Skip over verse 26. We'll come back there in a moment. Go to verse 27. Verse 27, it says, to the only wise God. First verse, verse 25, now to him. Last verse, to the only wise God. And it literally goes on to say, be glory forevermore through, through Jesus Christ. You can hear again, you can smell the worship flowing from that. He's pointing us to him, this preposition to there. It's to him, it's to him, it's to him. And, and, and we have to ask ourselves in life, how much of my life is pointing to him? Because if my life is a life of worship, it should point to him. Now, our life oftentimes points to our children, uh, points to our jobs, points to our mortgage. When you look at your life, what is your life pointing to? Because I think when you figure out what you're pointing to, you're going to figure out what you consider worthy. And whatever you consider worthy is what you're worshiping. And so really, this kind of calls us here at the very end, after Paul gives us all this deep theology, there's not another book in the Bible that has more theology than the book of Romans. But listen, if, you're, if your theology does not lead you to worship, you've got bad theology. If, 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 if your discipleship groups don't lead you to worship, you've got a bad discipleship group. If, if, if it all comes down to it at the end of the day and it doesn't draw us into valuing who God is more than anything else, we need to reexamine it because that's what worship is. And that's literally what he's calling us to in this passage. Now, when you talk about worship, it's like, some people kind of see it like this. Okay, it's what the band warms up the preacher and then at the end, there's the get ready to go home song. Uh, there's always Mike kind of says an amen and then we all kind of stand and we get our books together and our iPads or whatever together and we put them in bags and they're singing another song up there on the end and and then there's an offering basket and maybe I can get out before it gets in front of me or, you know, and all that kind of stuff. So we start thinking about how we can position. It's their get ready to get home and beat the Methodist to the restaurant or, or the Baptist or whatever. So th- that's kind of our mentality and really... That is not supposed to be that way. We worship. We even worship in the Word. But that last little part there, that, uh, that last song, that last, those last words are really times for you to listen. Times for you to reflect. I know when you get out in this world, you're not going to pause. You're going to hit fast forward, turbo. 
You're going to go fast and you're going to go quick and you're going to, you're going to start thinking about a thousand different things. And so we literally build it in to where we want you to pause. Because what we're trying to do is we're trying to get us to center our life on the one that really is worthy of our life. And that's what worship is. So, who has a cookie? Raise it up. Raise your cookie into the air. If you don't have a cookie to raise, one of two things. You either ate your cookie already. Shame on you. There's plenty of cookies in the back, though. If you did, you can go get another one. All right, now you can open your cookie. We're all going to open our cookies at the same time. So it's going to sound like rain. Okay. You can take out your cookie or leave a cookie in the wrapper, okay? But don't play with your cookie and try to take the cookie apart. The people who sit in your seat next week won't like you if you do, okay? So you can hold it in the bag, and we're going to come back to the cookie in a, in a moment. But the cookie is like the passage of Scripture that we're looking at today, okay? Uh, and if you need a cookie, again, they're in, in the back, so you can get up and get one now. But, but, but when you think about the cookie, you think about Romans chapter 16, okay? Because in Romans chapter 16, we just talked about this call to worship, and then we talked about in verse 25, and then we talked about the call to worship in verse 27. And so really, that's the oatmeal cookie, okay? Now, why do you buy Oreos? Is it for the hard chocolate edges, or is it for the creamy center? It's for the creamy center. All right, how many of y'all have taken a cookie, an Oreo cookie apart and licked off the middle? Raise your hand. Okay. That's why we got double stuffed Oreos. You don't have double cookie crusted Oreos. You have double stuffed cookie uh, Oreos. You, you, you want the cream on the inside. The cream is the good stuff. It's the really sweet stuff. Now, I don't have to say the outside isn't sweet, but it's, and that's exactly what this passage is, is I want us to understand that verse 25, verse 27 is all the sandwich of the good stuff that's in the middle. And that stuff that's in the middle is why we worship. It's the sweet part. So Jesus... This is way over metaphoring it here, if, you, if that's even a word, is, uh, is, is the cream, okay? Jesus is the cream. Now, that's about as corny as you can get. And some of y'all are like, right now, this guy is a heathen on the stage. Talking about Jesus being the cream. Listen, you used to sing when you were a kid, every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. So just keep singing that in your head and think about the the cream. Now, my wife got me double Decker uh, uh, cookies, and so I'm extra Jesus uh, creamy today. But let's let's keep going before I lose you. Uh, So if I haven't already, take out your cookie. We're going to have four reasons today. The cream. Four reasons that Jesus is worthy of our worship. The four reasons, I want you to take your cookie and think about it in your head. Don't divide it apart physically, but think about it in your head as in blocks of four, okay? Kiddos, I would not encourage you to eat the entire one-fourth of your cookie at one time, but do nibble it down to where you only have one-fourth of your cookie. For every, not yet, for every point, every reason I give you, then you get to have one quarter of your cookie. If you get to the end and you still have cookie left over, you did not listen to the message and you have to bring me the rest of your cookie. All right? Number one reason we worship Jesus is he is limitless. Take a bite of your cookie. You can have a fourth of your cookie, no more than a fourth. Jesus is limitless. 
okay? And understand and embrace that reality of his limitlessness, okay? He is the omnipotent God. He is the omnipresent God. It means he's everywhere at once. He is the omnipotent. He's all powerful. He is omniscient. He knows all things. He's all those omnis. Now, when I think about power and heroes and strength, I don't know about you, but I think about the Marvel characters. I think about Superman and Batman. I know those aren't Marvel people, but that's who I grew up with. But today it seems like the Marvel kind of people are taking over the world. Okay. How many of y'all have a favorite Marvel, Marvel character in, 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 okay. So I did, I had to do research. This is the deep down research that I do during a week is I Googled Marvel superheroes this past week. There are 10 Marvel superheroes. And if you didn't know that there are seven, I did not know this and I did not know their names. And I would be interested to know if you know their names, seven superhero women. Think about it. Don't Google it. Think about it later on, okay? Titanic teams of, uh, of Marvel heroes. There's the Garden, Guardians of the Galaxy. There's the Avengers. There's the Fantastic Four. There's the X-Men. These are all heroes. But do you know the thing about these heroes that we look to, go to the silver screen, watch, and, and dress up like, and even give mom and dad a, a reason to get dressed up in, 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 on, on Halloween, is this, because we want to be powerful like them. But the thing about them, they're fictional. They're not real. They're Hollywood. They're made up. They're comic books. Another thing about them is all of their powers are limited. You've got to pick and choose the power. Okay, if you want this power, you want to be really fast, you've got to have this. If you want to be strong, you've got to have this. You gotta, and you've got to pick and choose, but there's always a weak side to you. With our God and our Jesus, there are no limits. He is limitless. We cannot reach the end of him. The problem is, though, is so many of us have a small God. And when you have a small God, you're going to have small worship. And here's the challenge for us all, that the size of your God will dictate the quality of your worship. If you have a small God, you will have small worship. If you do not have a ginormous, limitless, infinite view of God, that he is not beyond my circumstances, that he is not beyond this part of my life. And so many of us kind of segment off God into these little sectors of our life. And we got to understand that every part of our life is his. Think about Moses, for example, as he was given this challenge, this incredible challenge to go before the superpower hero of that day, Pharaoh. Here's Moses, a shepherd boy. Here's Pharaoh, the superpower of that day who could strike him down in a moment's notice. And God says, from a burning bush, out of all things, I want you to go and ask for my people to get, be free. No, no, no. Don't ask for them. Say, let my people go. How am I supposed to do that? So he starts giving all the reasons why he can't. He has a stuttering problem. He's not confident. He, doesn't, he can't do this and he can't do that. And he gives excuse after excuse. He says, oh, by the way, God, when I get there, who am I supposed to say sent me? And all that God said was, I am I am what? I, I am. I am what? I am that I am. I am fill in the blank. And you study the etymology of the word that he used there. It's the, actually the Hebrew word Yahweh. It's the most holy, sacred name for God. And if you break down that Hebrew word Yahweh, it actually means he is. He is what? He is whatever he needs to be. 
Because our God is a limitless God. God is not going to be put in a box. God is not going to be put on restraints. He's not going to be put on a leash. He is a limitless God. In fact, that word is so holy in the, in the Hebrew language among the Jewish people that they won't even use the word Yahweh. They use, when they come across that word in the Hebrew text, they'll say Adonai. Another word for God. Because that word is so holy. Why are they pointing to? They're pointing to this limitless God, this God who is actually able to do whatever needs to get done. That is the sweetness of the Jesus that we have as a part of our life. Verse 25, look there closely with me. Now to him, call to worship, who is able. Now to him, say it with me, who is able. Able to do what? Fill in the blank. What do you mean? I am said, I am. I am said he could do whatever he called you to do. I am that I am. I love it when Paul's writing the book of Romans. He comes to chapter 11. Again, I told you this is a snapshot of the whole book. In chapter 11, he ends this long, I mean, 11 chapters of theology, 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 theology. He comes to chapter 11. It's like Paul can't contain him because his theology led him to greater, deeper uh, worship of God. If Again, if your theology does not lead you to worship, it only leads you to head knowledge and passing tests and, and arguing and debating, then you're missing theology. It led him to worship. And in chapter 11, I love it what he does, is he just breaks into this almost a song, a doxology of worship in Romans 11 verse 33. And it says it like this. Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. And every time you see the word limitless, I want you to say that limitless. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable are his his ways. Now the word inscrutable means that it is beyond our understanding. Okay. For who has known the mind of the Lord and who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever, forever and ever and ever limitless God. Our God is limitless. Jesus is a limitless God. And back to that verse 25, to him who is able, to him who is able. The word able there is the Greek word dunamai. We get the English word. They don't get the Greek word from our English. We get the English word from the Greek. It is the word where we get dynamite from. Dunamai. Strength. Power. Life-changing forever is what this idea here. He has. He is able. Another time this verse is used or this word is used is in Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20. Now to him... Who is able? Able to do what? Again, fill in the blank. Far more abundantly than all that we can ask or think. According to the power at at work within us. Now, I love this. Who is able to do far more abundantly. More than we can ask or think. Do you hear this says to me? The greatest limitation. On God in my life is not God. It might be my view of God. Because if I have a small view of God, 
in a very small box, very controlled, very domesticated God, then that's it. But God can do far more abundantly than we can ask or think. God is able. He is worthy of our worship. It, it sinks in deep whenever you're put into a circumstance. When God called me as a dyslexic sophomore in high school, I, had, I, mean, listen, I wouldn't even stand in my Sunday school class and read John 3.16. And God said, I want you to go stand on the stage and talk to people for the next 28 years so far of your life. What? God, you got the wrong number. No, because I want to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that you can ask or think. Are you going to be willing? Are you going to let God? Are you going to ch- answer the call of God to do exceedingly abundantly beyond you, all that you can ask or think? Because he's doing it in you. I want you to hear what I'm about to say. I want to ask you the first of all a question. When's the last time you did something in your life or something happened in your life that God called you to that you could not explain outside of God? See, God loves putting us in impossible odds, at impossible odds, because he can make all things possible. He loves putting us in situations that are out of our control so that he can show us his control. But the problem is, is we live with a limited God. We need to understand him as a limitless God. Are you ready for another bite? Anybody else? Here we go. Number two, he is strength. You can take a bite. He is strength. If you look at verse 25, it says, Now to him who is able to strengthen. Sterizo is the word here, and it means to establish, to to give a firm foundation, to make something able to where it's not going to be shaken or broken. When Paul said, I'm coming to Rome, I want to go to Spain, but I'm going to stop by in Rome. In Romans chapter 1, verse 11, why did he want to go to Rome? I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That's the same word. It's something that needs to happen in all of us. What is strengthening us? How is God strengthening us? Acts 14, 21 to 22, same word again. When Paul goes around starting churches, he then circles back around to those churches. He says, when I had preached the gospel in the city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and Iconium and Antioch, strengthening, sterazo. The souls of the disciples. Think about it. Strengthening the souls of the disciples. What does it take to be strengthened, to be established? Whenever Jesus was talking to his disciples and he was praying and they were, they were sleeping and he woke them up and he said, Listen, Satan's trying to sift you like wheat. Luke twenty-two thirty-two 32. says, I prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen, sterazo, your brothers. I love it. He speaks of not only that God strengthens us, but that we strengthen each other. We have that word around here, that phrase around here, one another brothers. Who's your one another brother or sister in your life who's strengthening you, who you're strengthening them, who you're pouring in? Listen, there's something that protein shakes and pumping iron is not going to give you. 
that God in his grace and in the family of God, he will strengthen you. Jude, in his little bitty letter, one of the shortest, if not the shortest letters in the New Testament. Jude, the brother of James, writes in verse 24. There's no chapters, just verse 24. He writes these words. He says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. Again, it comes back to the word able. Who is able? Who is able? He is able. Listen, what God wants to do, strengthen and shore up your life. Listen, we ought not be broken. We ought not be tossed and turned. We're going to be bruised. We're going to be battered. There's going to be a war. It's going to be a spiritual warfare, but we should be strengthened. We should be strengthened. Now to him, I want us to do something this week because I don't think you can have any real spiritual formation in your life without scripture memory. It is the foundation. It is the bedrock. If you don't have scripture memory, then you're missing it. Now watch this. I want us to break down this. All of us, children, moms and dads. Hey, kids, hold your parents accountable, okay? Uh, this next week, I want us all to memorize this verse. And I want, you, I, want, I want to show you what you just memorizing, just a phrase a day, will do to strengthen you on the inside. So uh, let's just break it down like this. So tomorrow morning, you're going to wake up. Now to him who is able. Now all I want you to do tomorrow, I don't want to memorize the whole whole thing. Just memorize now to him who is able. Now to him who is able. Say it with me. Now to him who is able. Say it again. Now to him who is able. Now to him who is able. Keep saying it with me. Now to him who is able. Again, now to him who is able. And I want you to think about all the times in your life that God was able, that God showed up, that God did something, that God provided something. I want you to think about it. I want you to write them down, journal them out, list them out. All the times, physically, he was there for me. When I was sick, he was there for me. When that relationship fell apart, he was there for me. Whenever I was on the mountaintop, he was there for me. I want you to think about all the times that he was able in your life and just jot them out. And then, so we've already done Monday's homework, all right? Now to him who is able. Now then on Tuesday, what I want you to do is I want you to get up and add a phrase to it. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. Say it with me. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. Say it again. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. Think about those times in your life when you stumbled. Those embarrassment times, those times of shame. In fact, listen, 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 listen. Some of y'all right now are dealing with shame and a level of shame that you just can't figure out how to get past. And it was a time in your life when you just kind of weren't real smart. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. Tuesday, Wednesday. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless. Say it with me. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and and to present you perfect, spotless, without flaw, without blemish. No, blameless. I want you to focus on the word blameless because he did not say you're going to be perfect because you're not going to be perfect. He did not say that you're not going to be without flaws. You're going to have flaws. He said blameless. Where's my blame? Somebody else took it on the cross. 
Somebody else bore it for you. Now to him who is able to keep me from stumbling and to present you blameless. And then Thursday, before the presence of his glory with great joy. Before the presence of his glory with great joy. Before the presence, say it with me, before the presence of his glory with great joy. God is looking forward, Jesus is looking forward to taking us before the throne of God, bringing us into heaven. He's not, oh, this is my, this is my other son or this is my other daughter. No. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. That right there, you remember that the next time you're shamed by Satan. You remember that the next time you feel like I can't and I, I, I can't walk this walk. You remember that because you've memorized it. You will be strengthened from it. I think you get the point. I don't know about you, but whenever I go out, that's your verse, that's your homework for the week. When I go, when I travel, I know I need two things. I need clothes and I need cords. You know what I mean by cords, don't you? I need clothes. Now, I can actually get by on a, a, a maybe stretch two days out of a pair of clothes. But I cannot stretch two days out of a battery charge on my iPhone. I cannot do it on my iPad and I cannot do it on my iWatch. I've got to have cords. I've literally traveled before and left my cords behind. I will go to the store and buy new cords before I will do without my cords. I will live through a second day of clothes and pray for cologne or something like that to help me through it. But I've got to stay with my cords. I've got to stay charged. Listen, I'm going to be strengthened the closer I get. I'm going to stay clean the closer I get. But when I get distracted or when I get away or when I get distant from God, I'm going to get dirty. I need to stay close so I can stay clean because if I get distant, I will get dirty. So how is it that I'm going to be strengthened? I'm going to be strengthened when I'm with my brothers, when I'm strengthening you and you're strengthening me. Listen, I need this time every week. I know, Mike, you're talking. I need this time every week with you. I need to meet with you out there. I need to talk with you out there. We need to be together. I need you. You need me. Hopefully we need each other. I need to be with my one another brothers on a regular basis. I need my daily time in this book, memorizing it, taking it in, ingesting it as much as I can. I need to recharge consistently in my life. You know what else I need? I need to be generous. Like, oh, 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 Mike. Hold it, I'm taking, I'm receiving. What do you mean generosity? Why would I get, how does that recharge me? Because what that does is that takes all the affairs of this world and it brings it into perspective. When I start give my giving on the front end, when I'm generous in the beginning and not on the backside, when I make him priority, then all of a sudden everything begins to get levelized in my life. In fact, uh, there's been times that Lori and I have looked at houses. And I can remember one time in particular, I had just made the commitment in my heart that I didn't want, I didn't feel, I don't know, Lori and I were still quite on that same page, but we were praying it through looking at a house. 
but it was, I want the largest check that I write every month to be to my church. Not to my bank for my mortgage, not for a car payment. I want to set him as the priority because he's worthy of it in every area of my life. Number three. Ready for another bite? Here we go. He is the answer. Answer to what? Answer to questions. Answer to the riddles of life. Riddles are difficult. Anybody like riddles? I can't stand them. Don't come up and ask me a riddle. It just blows my brain. Because the, the, the thing about riddles is riddles, the answers are all out there. You just got to figure out the answer. You know what I'm saying? Let me try a couple of riddles on you. Kids got it perfectly in the first gathering. Parents were quiet. Kids are smarter than, than parents sometimes. What has hands but can't clap? Very good. I think that was a little easy one. That was an easy one. What gets wetter and wetter the more it dries? Very good. I heard that from a child's voice right there. Give me a hand. All right. Back there. All right. And uh, here's another one, maybe a little harder. What starts with T is filled with T and ends with T. Listen to these kids. Give them a round of applause. A teapot. You know what? Jesus is like a riddle. It's a mystery, if you will. In fact, Paul uses the word mystery. He uses it 20 different times. In verse 25, look there closely with me. This is according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages. There's a mystery in Jesus. There's this mystery out there. He, he doesn't necessarily right off the bat talk about what that mystery is. So I'm going to let that linger out there. But notice the mystery kept secret. What's this mystery kept secret in Colossians 1, 26? It says, the mystery hidden for ages and generations from now revealed to his saints. This mystery. Where does the mystery, well, like a riddle, all the clues are out there. You just got to figure it out. And hundreds of times through thousands of years and through lots of handwriting, handwriting from Genesis chapter 3 to verse 15 to Malachi chapter 4 verse 5 and 6 and all the way through the Old Testament, there is one after another after another a prophetic writing, prophetic writing pointing to the mystery. But it's also made known to the nations. It's not for a nation. It's for the nations. It's not for Israel only or America only. It's for the 11,759 nations, people groups that are out there. This mystery, what is it? In verse 25, again, let's go just after that. He says, now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. According to my gospel, what's this gospel word here? It's the idea of good news. It's one, again, Paul's favorite words. He uses it again and again. In very first verse of the very first chapter of Romans, he said it like this. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Paul know why, knew why he existed. Talk about self-awareness. He existed for the gospel. He existed to get that mystery known to the nations. That's why he existed. Chapter 2, verse 16, he said, according to my gospel. Why does he keep saying my gospel? Because it was a very personal thing to him. 
It wasn't that he had his gospel and you have your gospel and I have my gospel. It was a personal, this changed my life. This can change your life. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. I'm just giving you two chapters of all the times he uses gospel. I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it's the power of God into salvation to everyone who believes the Jew first and the Greeks. Hey, Mike, 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 you're talking about worship, and now you're talking about gospel, now you're talking about nations, now you're going on that missions thing again. You understand this. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Missions exist because God is worthy of worship and there are places and there are peoples and there are pockets and there are people groups out there that this day, they don't know Jesus. They can't worship Jesus. And because they don't know who he is, they worship some other deity, they worship their ancestors, they worship their things, they're fearful, they live in fear. They live with the guilt that we do. John Piper said it like this, missions is not God's ultimate goal. Worship is. Missions begins and ends with worship. When we see worship, when we experience worship, it should produce, commission us, if you will, to missions. And when we do missions, we should be worshiping with many tribes, tongues, peoples, and nations that should bring us back to worship. And then that should compel us back out to the nations, which then will bring us back because we'll have more worshipers back to worship. And you will see this cycle that will happen. They work together. They're not too separate. We have, we have people right now in Zambia on the ground with 400 children. They're going to be in a vacation Bible school this week teaching these children who Jesus is. We were invited by a, a club at the University of Arkansas, and I want to invite every one of you all. Hey, man, I, I don't go on these global adventures, Mike. That's not my thing. Okay, let them come to your house. There's a student group at the University of Arkansas looking for homes for two nights, two days. Take your PTO time and do a global adventure right here in Northwest Arkansas. Let them come into your home, sit at your table, eat at your table, sit with you. Pray over the dinner. Talk about their culture. Have a cultural exchange. Oh, you don't have to sit them down and preach the gospel to them. Just be Jesus in their life. Students from Iran, from the Middle East, that will come into a home for the first time and maybe the only time that they're even in the United States. 80% of the university students that come from international destinations to America to study will never step foot in an American home. If you're interested in this at the end of July, you can write Caleb Gabrelli and he'll link you up. The nations. I worship Jesus because he's the sweetest part of my life. He is the sweetest part. He's the limitless God. He is the aim, he is the answer of my life. He is the strength in my life and forth he is my aim. If you have any cookie left at all, you can eat it now. Some of y'all has been melting in your hands and you can lick your fingers. He is my aim. Where are you going, Mike? I'm heading in the direction of a character transformation. Verse 26. All this mystery, all this gospel, all this empowerment, all this strengthening. Where is it heading? To 
bring about the obedience of faith. To bring about the obedience of faith. And then he jumps right back into the worship call. The end of the story. We are, we, we say around here, discipleship is this idea of becoming fully obedient multiplier following Jesus. There's a lot to that. We're going to unpack it all. And we did that a year ago. But I just want you to zero in on the word fully obedient. That doesn't mean you don't have a list of 10 commandments. You have a list of 613 like the Pharisees had. No, no, no. It's not about a list of commandments and do's and don'ts. It's not about a a, a compliance law list. It's about a character change. When Jesus gave us the Great Commission, he said, I want you to go. I want you to make disciples of all nations. It was a call to evangelism, but it was also a call to disciple making. Now, some people like to emphasize the discipleship and some people like to emphasize the evangelism. You cannot separate them. You cannot separate them. A.W. Tozer said it like this, the New Testament salvation, evangelism, and discipleship are so closely related that they're undividable. They are not identical, but as with Siamese twins, they are joined by a tie which can be severed only at the price of death. Discipleship and evangelism go together. One feeds into the other. And when God calls us to be a fully obedient disciple, he's not calling us to simply comply, simply do a bunch of lists. He's talking about character transformation, changing who we are. Obedience is not what you do. It is who you are. Who am I becoming? How is God changing me? Paul, and I end with this verse, Galatians 4, 19. Paul said this, My little children, by whom I am again in anguish of childbirth. And I know this. Ladies, would you like to say, stop right there, Mr. Paul. How do you know anything about childbirth? Let me just tell you about childbirth. And I, I, and I, I don't imagine, I don't know what Paul was going through trying to be insensitive here, but he was saying, listen, I, I, I've been for all three of our children. It's painful. I, I can anticipate. I thank you that you're doing it and I'm not doing it, but uh, he, I, I can understand. And discipleship's painful. Because why? Because you're not doing compliance work. You're doing character work. You're not doing, here's my list. I've got to do's and don'ts. Here's my life that I've got to live differently. Notice the last phrase. Until Christ is formed in you. See, obedience doesn't happen from the outside in. Get my act together outside so everyone looks at me and looks good. It's from the inside out. And God does his work in me and changes me. When I was growing up, I used to be a Dallas Cowboy fan back when Tom Landry, Roger Starbuck, Tony Dorsett, the great uh, teams of that day. And... Uh, and I, uh, I, I, I was as tall in eighth grade as I am right now. So uh, I was the tallest kid in the class in the school and all that kind of stuff. And um, I can remember whenever the football coach came and tapped me on the shoulder. I was already playing basketball. He came and tapped me on the shoulder. Hey, I'd like for you to play football. I'd like you to be a defensive end. I didn't know what a defensive end was. 
And so he said, yeah, I want you to be a defensive end. So I just started studying defensive ends, and I came across this name, Ed Tall Jones. I thought, dude, maybe I can get my friends to call me Mike Tall McDaniel or something like that. Didn't ever work, never stuck. But I did everything I could to study Ed Tall Jones. I did. I got Sports Illustrated. That was back way before the internet. I know. I got Sports Illustrated out and I got an article on him and studied his biceps and studied his chest. And, and I, I want to be like him. How tall is he? What does he eat? I want to be like Ed Tutal Jones as much as I could. He became my inspiration. He became what I looked to. He became who I valued. He became who I worshiped as defensive end. Listen, that's the same character change of my life when it comes to Jesus. He is the sweet spot of my life. My life is sweeter because I worship Jesus and he is the sweetest part of my life. He is the limitless God in my life. He is the strength of my life. He is the answer to the mysteries and the riddles of life that don't even make sense sometimes. And he is the aim, my obedience, in which I'm moving. Would you bow your heads with me? I want you to examine your heart. Is it a heart of worship? The first answer to that should be yes. It is a heart of worship. What are you worshiping? What's what's so worthy in your life that it demands and gets your attention, your love, your affection, your thoughts? What have you made an idol? Is it a relationship? A job? And maybe, maybe the stripping down right now is realizing that you've made that, them, those, an idol. And it's coming back to Jesus. The limitless God who is able. He who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before his presence with great joy. Come back to Jesus and worship him. Father God, be the sweetest, sweetest part of our life. And where we've lost the joy and the savory taste for you, hunger for you, love for you, worship of you, Show us and renew our joy and sweetness of you in us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you worship with us by standing?